Welcome, podcast listeners. We have a fantastic episode for you today. Last year, when we published The Best Investment Writing, Volume 2, we offered authors the opportunity to record an audio version of their chapter to be released as a segment of the podcast. And listeners loved it. This year, we're bringing you the entire volume of The Best Investment Writing, Volume 3, in podcast format. You'll hear from some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers all over the world. Enough from me. Let's get to our guests and let them take over this special episode. Hi, this is Ben Johnson. I'm the director of global ETF research with Morningstar. Morningstar is a global research organization dedicated to empowering investor success. To learn more about us, you can find us at Morningstar.com. You can find my team's work on the ETF tab of Morningstar.com. And you can find me personally on Twitter at MstarETFUS. I'm going to read a piece titled, When Markets Get Tough, Don't Look. In thinking, fast and slow, Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Sciences laureate, Danny Kahneman summarizes decades of work he has done to better understand the way that we think. The book's title alludes to the two speeds, or in Kahneman's terms, systems that we use to process information. System one is fast. System two is slow. System one allows us to respond quickly to external stimuli with limited information. System two is more pensive and calculated. Each has its own benefits and drawbacks, and together they can help explain the various cognitive biases that Kahneman and his close collaborator, Amos Tversky, documented. We owe System 1 an immense debt of gratitude. Were it not for our ability to react quickly, we wouldn't be here. System 1 kept our ancestors from being mauled by megafauna. And while System 1 is still very useful to us, there are many modern-day applications where it can do more harm than good. Investing is one of them. The markets have been fairly placid for most of the past decade but they will inevitably get roiled once again, and pain will be pervasive. During those times when there is nowhere to run and nowhere to hide, it's important to be aware of how we are conditioned to respond to these situations and think of ways we can avoid succumbing to our instinct. Here, I'll revisit one of the seminal works from the field of behavioral finance, which explores how investors respond to and demand to be compensated for taking risk. I'll also share my thoughts on one way we might be able to better cope with tough market environments, nearsightedness. In their paper, Myopic Loss Aversion and the Equity Premium Puzzle, Shlomo Benarzi and Richard Thaler introduced a concept they called Myopic Loss Aversion. Myopic Loss Aversion is an attempt to marry two pre-existing lines of research. The first of these is the Equity Premium Puzzle. We know that over very long periods, stocks have outperformed bonds by a lot. According to data from Ibbotson, SBBI, a dollar invested in U.S. large-cap stocks in 1926 would have grown to $7,353 by the end of 2017. If you invested that same dollar in treasury bills, it would have become $21. Stocks should offer higher returns than bonds, because they're riskier. But the magnitude of this outperformance is puzzling. The second party in this marriage is loss aversion. 
Investors feel more pain when they lose money than they do pleasure when they make money. So they demand high compensation for taking chances. Loss aversion also leads investors to check their portfolios regularly. Benarzi and Thaler claim that these two effects can help solve the equity risk premium puzzle. They found that investors who checked in on their portfolios once each year behaved as though they had a planning horizon of one year, even though their planning horizon, a measurement of how far away they were from their long-term goal, might have been many decades away. But the odds of losing money in risky assets with positive expected returns, like stocks, declines with time. Benarzi and Thaler argue that investors' perception of risk increases as they check in on their portfolios more frequently, so they demand a large equity risk premium to compensate for the greater variability of returns. This nugget, in the author's own words, is most relevant to this discussion. Quote, The longer the investor intends to hold the asset, the more attractive the risky asset will appear, as long as the investment is not evaluated frequently. End quote. The further we remove ourselves from the inexplicable day-to-day gyrations of the market, the less risky we will perceive our investments to be. This, in theory, should help us stay the course. A picture is worth a thousand words. The exhibit I've included in my article is intended to help frame the potential value of longer evaluation periods. I hope it will keep things in perspective during dark days in the markets. The top row shows calendar year returns for the investor share class of Vanguard Balanced Index, which I've chosen as a proxy for a broadly diversified portfolio. Subsequent rows show annualized returns for that fund over the ensuing two to 25-year periods where applicable. There have been bad years during which investors have suffered big losses, but the pain of these losses is temporary. Returns for the Vanguard Fund were negative in just five of the 25 calendar years included here. Its returns were positive in each of the multi-year periods extending beyond four years. The longer the period, the narrower the range of returns and the higher the median return. Markets have rewarded investors who can tolerate temporary discomfort. Don't look. Talk is cheap, and charts like these are too. Suffering through losses is far more taxing than any picture or a thousand words can capture. Most investors' reaction to market malaise is visceral. Many may be permanently scarred by experiences like the global financial crisis. Their memory of these events can have a lasting effect on their willingness to take risk. So how might we be able to use what we know about myopic loss aversion to bypass System 1 to avoid responding to the market's troubles in a way that we'll later regret? I think the simplest way, though it's far from the easiest, is to simply stop looking. How often do you check your portfolio? Once a month? More? Less? As the exhibit lays bare, the more often you check in on your portfolio, the more likely you are to be disappointed with what you see. I think that the less often we look at our portfolios, the less likely we'll be upset and tempted to tinker. Tinkering rarely, if ever, helps us meet our long-term goals. It more likely results in costs, both directly measurable and implicit. The measurable costs include commissions and taxes, 
the largest implicit cost of tinkering is opportunity costs. Missing out on tremendous market returns because you've been parked in cash for the past 10 years, still shell-shocked from the last bear market, that's an opportunity cost. Over the long term, the market will do most of the heavy lifting for us, assuming we're along for the ride. So, if you have a long enough time horizon, stop watching CNBC. Forget your login to your brokerage account. Your ignorance of the day-to-day fluctuations of your portfolio will likely yield blissful results. For those that have more immediate spending needs, retirement, a large purchase, and so on, it's more difficult to tune out. That said, positioning your portfolio more conservatively can help. First, it will boost your odds of meeting your spending needs. And perhaps just as importantly, reigning in volatility will curb your urge to peak. 